Hello and welcome to Outdoor Lives. My name is Mike Crane. Uh, you'll find out more about the things I do, the workshops and things at mycrane.co.uk or uh, even Patreon forward slash Crane now. My guest this week is Sabine Nuvert. She's a project, project officer with the Celtic Rainforest Project. This is a seven-year life project, which is funded by the European Commission, Nature and Biodiversity Fund, and Welsh Government Green Infrastructure Grant. It focuses on protecting and restoring five designated temperate rainforests across 40,000 hectares of Wales. As an ecologist, Sabine has been working with farmers and landowners across Rari for more than 15 years with the mission to improve the environment in cooperation with people and their livestock. Before that, she studied fish and wildlife management in her home country of Canada and helped with various ecological research projects across North America from the Yukon to New Hampshire. Her appreciation of the role of humans have in our natural system stems from her experience of working with hunters and trappers in Canada, as well as journeys around the world. For Sabine, the holy grail of conservation management is finding solutions which deliver high-value nature while including people and their culture. That's quite an introduction, Sabine, but how are you today? I'm all right. Thanks, Mike. Great. Well, it's a, quite a journey, isn't it, from Canada to North Wales and becoming an ecologist. I don't know where to start. How do you end up being an ecologist in North Wales? I'll, I'll leave it to you. Right. Well, um, I before I even studied fish and wildlife management in Canada, I, I spent two years in South Wales, in the Vale of Glamorgan, on a scholarship to do the equivalent of my A-levels, called the International Baccalaureate. And there I met my future husband. Uh. So we had, a, he was Welsh, and we had seven years long distance while I travelled and studied university in Canada, worked in Canada. And uh, he would come over to Canada. He was often my research assistant. So that was the, that was the, the way we got to spend time together. Um, so you so, decided to settle in North Wales? Yeah, well, um, we, I came, we got married in Wales. And I thought, oh, I'll just get a little job here, earn some money, and then we'll move back to Canada. We both had fallen in love with the Yukon Territory in the northwest mm. of Canada. And... Uh, I got a two-year job in Erari working for the National Trust, which was extended and then made permanent. And now I have two boys who speak with a, a Kovi Kanavon Nantia accent. So it looks like we're here to stay 16 years later. I'm sure the Yukon's amazing, but there, uh, there are worse places to end up than Erari, aren't there? That's what I keep telling myself every day, I think. I, I, every day. And it is, it is completely different, but... Um, yeah. The landscape and and that uh, combination of the culture and the natural uh, landscape is just something that continues to fascinate me and uh, and it's always inspiring. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of variety here, and you know, yeah. just, look, just looking out the window now, we've got sunshine on snow in the Conway Valley at sea level. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, what's an ecologist? Okay, uh, so an ecologist is somebody who studies the environment and how um, living creatures in the environment interact with each other. So it could be studying, it could be studying um, plants, it could be studying birds, it could be studying the relationship between plants and birds. So an example um, would be with the, you, we're speaking about the rainforest a lot today, um, would be uh, how different kinds of birds 
depend on different habitats. So if you walk into a woodland and you want to see what kind of condition the woodland is, you might study which birds are using the woodland. Um, are there pied flycatchers who need uh, really old oak trees to make their nests in the holes of the, of the oak trees or of other old trees? Um, so, so that's an ecological study where you're studying that relationship between um, living things. That sounds really interesting. That so it's interrelationship between the the, the animals, the birds, and, and the actual physical environment. Yeah, and that yeah, includes that, humans, right? Because we're part of it. Well, that that's a complicated triangle, isn't it? We hear a lot about degradation of habitats, but is that to the benefit of humans at the cost of animals, or benefit <laughs> of animals to the cost of humans? That's that's a complex. It is. relationship isn't it yeah actually it is it's it's fascinating and in fact the iucn um which gives a lot of guidance internationally on um, the protection of conservation of nature they recently changed their definition of um i think not just rainforests of wild habitats in that you have to also consider the humans who use it so, for example, the Amazon rainforest, tropical rainforest, which we think the core of it, in the center of it, it's still unspoilt and untouched and no human influence. That's a lie. There is human influence. Even in the most wild places, there's um, a relationship and we're, we're part of it. It doesn't mean we have to abuse it. Yes, yeah, so it's working in harmony with it rather than destroying it, isn't it? That's the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, we're, not, that, we're not. We we shouldn't view ourselves. We we do a lot of damage, and and maybe there's too many humans, but we shouldn't see ourselves as a negative uh, factor in the environment. We are actually naturally part of the environment. So if it, it, we have to remember that, and and that helps us. That helps me put myself back in that position. Well, what is my role? Yeah. Okay, so let's find out about this current project um i know you work for the national trust for a while but you now you're working on something the celtic rainforest project so what's the project and what's the celtic rainforest okay the project is um led by snowdonia erari national park um it's uh in partnership with many organizations um primarily woodland trust and rspb uh and dur Khamri. Um, we the the project is funded by mostly by Europe by this Life grant, um, and it stretches over. It's supposed to be seven years, and we're, we've asked for an extension of two years, so it might be potentially a nine-year project. It's worth seven point six million pounds. It's a really big Life European-funded project by UK standards, and one of the last ones. Um, and and the point of it is to help protect and restore these ancient woodland sites or semi-natural woodland sites across Wales, which are designated. So these are the ones that we call SACs, Special Areas of Conservation. Um, and we're focusing on five SACs in Wales, uh, two of which are in Ereri. So there's the Ereri SAC, and that covers Snowdon and the surrounding valleys. Um, and then there's the Merionid Oakwood and Bat SAC. And that's more fragmented, that's like all those little patches of beautiful woodland that we see from Beth Gellert down to Trausvenith, um, Ganhoid and Mainturog. So, so it, it's it's really lush um, woodlands that we see in, in North and Mid Wales primarily. 
Then your, the second half of your question was, what is a rainforest or a Celtic rainforest? So Celtic rainforest is a gimmicky name and it's new. It was invented for this project. <laughs> but what, what isn't new is, is what that habitat is. And, and basically it's, it's old woodland that's been growing on the same spot continuously for a long time. A lot of it is designated or qualifies as ancient woodland. It's been growing there for as, as long as we have maps going back to the 1600s. Um, it's not all necessarily that old. But what really determines a rainforest, a temperate rainforest like these ones, is the amount of rainfall and the temperature. So temperate rainforests extend, there's patches of them around the world. Um, and the qualification is they need to have a lot of rainfall, which we definitely have here in North Wales. And they have to have quite a cool temperature. So the average temperature in, in um, North Wales in Eredi is 12 degrees. That's the mean temperature. Um, so we have like a low of, of six degrees and a high of 17 is our average temperatures um, over the, the course of a year. Um, and so we have this cool, wet climate, which is perfect for uh, creating what we call the temperate rainforest. And, and the key feature of a temperate rainforest in the UK is that it will be a woodland or a forest covered with mosses and lichens. That's the big feature, is, um, are the mosses and the lichens which cover the tree trunks, cover the boulders underneath the trees. Um, and, and that's definitely the, the, the highlight of, of our rainforest. Uh, and Celtic rainforest, we called it that because um, we share a similar habitat type with other Celtic nations like the, the west coast of Scotland, uh, the west coast of Ireland, um, even uh, the north northwest coast of Spain has, has similar temperate rainforest. So we have the, that Celtic connection. Wow. Um, gosh. Uh, okay. So let's start beginning there. SAC, Special Area of Conservation. That's a European designation. Yes. Will that remain with us now? Yes, as far as I understand, the government's committed to keeping those designations. And it's quite reassuring to me to know the woodlands across Ureri and into Mid Wales are covered by that designation. So does that mean they're safe from removal? They're safe from, from being chopped down? Um, okay, so not all of the woodlands in Ereri uh, and Mid Wales fall within the SACs. Um, only the, the, in theory, the best examples are, or the most important ones. These are often designated because of the lichen species and the moss and liverwort species that grow in them. Um, or in the Mediana case, it's because of the diversity and richness in bats. So not all of the woodlands are protected. Those which are protected are heavily regulated. So they are pretty much um, protected from any felling unless there's a conservation reason. So, there, so whenever you want to do any work within a designated bit of land, you need to get permission from Natural Resources Wales. Uh, and, and you have to, to justify that it's very heavily regulated. And, and would there be triple SIs as well? Yeah, so to become an SAC, you have to have a site which is a triple SI, which is a special yeah. site of scientific interest. There's a little bit less protection to triple SIs, although it's still, in, from my experience, it's the same, same uh, bureaucracy and legislation mm -hmm. protecting them. But um, SAC is a, is a higher status 
um, conservation-wise. And even higher than that are our natural na National Nature Reserves, NNRs. And that's like, those are the cherries. Those are the really good spots. And are some of those the woodlands? Yeah, yeah. So Ereri has a, a National Nature Reserve, which, oh, I actually don't think it does include the bit of woodland to it. Um, yeah, so, so there is an overlap, not necessarily. They're not, yeah, not all SACs are NNRs. Yeah. That must be in there. That's that's right. That's a good example of a NNR. That's right. That's a world biosphere reserve as well, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> yeah. It's something to do with the, the unkempt heather on the hill. That's, uh, that's, that's another story, I think. People will be surprised to know our temperature ranges from six degrees to 17 degrees. Mm. Uh, it's certainly hot this summer, and it was certainly colder this morning. Is that within these... That's the typical temperature range within these forests. Yes. And does the forest therefore create its own microclimate to, to maintain that temperature? I would say that, I, I don't know for sure, but I would say no, because our we have to remember that um, the, the bits of woodland that we have in Wales, in the UK, are small. <laughs> they're, 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 they are fragmented, and that's a characteristic of woodlands in Europe in general. Um, and it's a really big, very um, noticeable characteristic of the temperate rainforests left in the UK and Western Europe. So that's um, that is it, that's a characteristic for better or for worse, mainly for worse. Um, our woodlands are fragmented, and that means that they don't create that same microclimate that the Amazon does. Um, it also means that they're even more susceptible to global warming, to climate change, to drying up, to those droughts that we these, we suffer from. A lot of the rare lichens and mosses, especially the lichens, which are you know, of, of interest, international interest in the woodlands here, they are very sensitive to drying out or to extreme heat and sun. So if um, any of that changes, then we're at greater risk of losing them. Okay, we're happy with the rainfall, although it's <laughs> happy. <trapped>. Yeah. <laughs> um, the characteristic of the temperate rainforest or Atlantic rainforest or Celtic rainforest, all the yeah. same thing, is the mosses and lichens. But if I I went on a walk yesterday near Betsacoid, and it's mostly coniferous woodland, but it's it's covered in mosses and lichens. So is is that a rainforest? That's a great question. And I don't think that it, this gets addressed enough because we we like to be, I, I would say that us as conservationists, we like to be, uh, we often are victims of, of being blinkered. So we see these SACs or the National Nature Reserves and they're the, the most beautiful spots. And we go to them when we think we want more of those or this is what, what we want across all of the west coast of Wales, for example. And those are the old oak woodlands. Um, there might be a lot of birch, old birch. Really, if you're talking about a temperate rainforest, all you need is the rainfall and the temperature. So any tree does the job. The big difference is that a lot of the very important rare lichens and mosses that we have in our woodlands here, they don't um, reproduce and spread very easily. Maybe their spores are relatively heavy and they don't get 
transferred in the wind very far. So the chances of them spreading to new woodlands is very low. And that means that when we find them, they've probably been there for a long time. They haven't just arrived on, on a gust of wind from somewhere five kilometers away. They've, they're quite localized. So if we plant a coniferous forest with trees such as spruce or hemlock, um, those trees host amazing lichens in Western Canada. Mm. The same lichens, which are found around the, the Arctic Circle, like around circumpolar species. So there's no reason why spruce and hemlock couldn't become rainforest here, temperate rainforest. Well, that's a bit of a mind melt. So whilst they're non, we would call them non-native here, yeah. they they do exist in similar climate zones in other countries where you've got the temperate rainforest. Now, what's the difference there? Is that over in Western Canada, Western United States, the spruce and the hemlock have been growing there and they're allowed to grow there for hundreds of years. Yeah. It's like our oak here has been allowed to grow for hundreds of years. So if we plant a spruce and hemlock conif coniferous plantation, they're not going to host those species unless they're left there for hundreds of years. Uh, I see. Yeah. So and chances of that and the impact on other species are pretty low. And yeah. therefore, it's easier just to say those plantations are like, let's not consider them. But the reality is that if they were allowed for hundreds of years to grow mm -hmm. and if they were planted next to a rich oak woodland with lichens yeah there would be a lot of controversy to that but technically they could become rainforest uh, that's uh, really interesting would, would it be better if they were what we'd call native spheres so uh, you know uh, if they were oak and birch and things of course and what i what i'm saying is actually really controversial yeah. <laughs> but in the theory the, the theory is 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 correct yeah. the problem is then you would get baby hemlocks and baby spruce uh seedlings spreading into your oak woodland and then the woodland you'd lose all the native stuff so that wouldn't be good obviously much better and this is what we promote is is planting of native trees yeah. um, and and to plant them close to existing rainforest sites so that yeah. those really really weak lichens and bryophytes and mosses that can't disperse very far they have a chance to eventually move into that mature yeah woodland something else i've heard sabine is it's better to leave the trees to naturally regenerate rather than plant them is that is that a consideration yeah they, definitely a tree a seedling or a seed will germinate where it wants to where the where it's suitable and at a time that's suitable uh, in general you'll have much better success your trees will be healthier growing in the right place um, uh, if they're self-sown. The problem with that is that you, uh, an owner of, a landowner might decide, I want a certain kind of tree. I would like a bit more Scots pine. Um, and they're not going to get any Scots pine germinating because there's none nearby them. It's a native species, it's very interesting, it's beautiful. So then you would have reason to plant some. Or likewise in Nantguinant, where they want to see woodland, woodland expansion in one of the valleys in Erari. Um, that's happening naturally in some places, and that's mostly birch and rowan. Uh, and in other parts, the National Trust, for example, has said, well, we want oak to replace the oak woodland. So they've planted pockets of oak. 
So it's, I think planting should be viewed as a tool to supplement natural regeneration in an ideal world and, and a tool that helps you decide which trees. But definitely, if you can allow natural regeneration, it is much, much more successful and better. Natural regeneration will presumably work better if there are animals in there. Hmm. Um, it depends on the site. Some some sites have been, uh, you know, if you have a. It really depends on the site and it depends on what's growing on the ground, the vegetation. If there's really thick, dense vegetation, it'll be really difficult for any seedlings to germinate, to grow, any seeds to germinate and grow. Um, if it's bare ground, uh, lots will come up on its own. Or, or um, for example, on the edge of a woodland, often you get these mossy areas, um, a lot of leaf litter, and that, that can be really good for seedlings to germinate. Uh, so, so you don't necessarily need animals or need to exclude animals. It's more about just deciding um, if it's a lot of rough vegetation, you might put cows in to open it up. Um, or if it's overgrazed by sheep, you might want to, or or by cattle or ponies, you might want to reduce the number of, of those animals. It's, it's a case by case thing, isn't it? Definitely. Is Scots pine native to Wales? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fine. Um, yeah, there's evidence of it um, present in Wales after the Ice Age. Uh, so that's our definition of native is whether or not um, it was present in the UK and how quickly it moved into a region after the the last Ice Age. Right. So yes, it, it, it is. It was here. Um, and and that's a mystery to me why it's not flouted and uh, promoted as one of the native species that's mm. just automatically included in replanting mixes. Celtic pine. Yeah. Is it, so those above the, uh, you know, the Cumsan National Trust Farm, um, above the walking path, there are Scots pines running up the hillside there, aren't yeah. they? Are they? Are they planted or are they? Are they... Well, I heard a story and I would, I would love to look into this. Um, I heard they were planted by the, the Royal Watercolorist Society in the late uh, 1800s. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> story. Ray, I'm going to come back to mosses and lichens. So we, there are some really common mosses. It doesn't matter too much what they're called. We'll just put people off. But are you looking for particular rare woods? I suppose one of the lichens you could mention is a lungwort, isn't it? The labaria. Yeah. That's um, that's a real good indicator of the rainforest, isn't it? Are there yeah. any others like that that might be easy for people to pick out and go, oh yeah, this is definitely rainforest. Okay, so here's here's a good one. It's um, a rainforest indicator, a clean air indicator, and also an old growth indicator. And <clears throat> so if you find that, it, sh it, it shows you those three things. And it's um, all of the Stictas, S-T-I-C-T-A. So the Sticta lichens, they grow on um, bark of trees. Uh, they're very sensitive to acid rain. So they tend to be on, the, on tree trunks where the bark might be a little bit more alkaline. Um, for example, ash trees, unfortunately. Um, since they're dying, but the ash trees are more alkaline, so they often harbor sticta lichens more often. And sticta is like, um, it's a folios, folios lichen, so it's got like these leafy, a little bit like a lettuce leaf, 
but when they're wet, they're jelly-like. Uh, they're very leather, like a, a jelly leather, um, and they're olive green to black. Now, that still doesn't really help you. What you want to do is you see something that might be that the, each lobe might be the size of your, your fingernail or a bit bigger, and it's olive green, kind of looks like wet leather, and you go, is that a stick tat? And what you have to do is you have to rub it with your finger and then have a smell. And if it smells like really bad fish, then <laughs> you know, go on. So yeah, we call it the stinky stickta. And there's there's a few species which are internationally rare and which we have here in Erari. Um, they 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 like the clean air here. They like that humid, constant humid um, temperature climate. There's not a danger of us all heading off to the rainforest tomorrow and rubbing these lichens off while we're trying to smell them. They, they must be pretty robust and tricky to come across. Like lichens are robust. Stictas are quite common on old ash trees in our wet valleys around here. So if you go to a, an ash woodland um, and on old oak trees, but but look out for the big old ash trees um, in any of these wet woodlands on the you know Western Wales. Yeah. Um, and and have a sniff they are everything is fragile <laughs> um but but they can definitely handle a little rub with with a finger and a smell and it's very fun great that sounds lovely um the other thing i've heard about recognizing the rainforest area is the epiphytes so you get the is it common polybody ferns growing on in the mosses on the trees i'm not quite sure how that works uh, they're not parasitic, are they? They're working yeah. in, on their own in the trees. How good an indicator is that? That's a good one. Those those ferns that you see up in the trees, they are definitely, um, they, they are slightly drought tolerant. The mm. polypody fern it is, it can tolerate some drying out, uh, but you definitely don't see it in a dry woodland, oak woodland. So it is a feature. Yeah, when you see moss on the branches with the ferns, then it's it's a good indicator. You're right. So are there grades of temperate rainforest? So are there the really good ones and others that are kind of average rainforest? Um, okay, so we go back to this story of what are British or what are Celtic rainforests are good for. And they are notable um, because of their lichens uh, growing on the trees. And, and there are mosses and liverworts growing on the trees and the dead wood on the ground. Um, so as opposed to other temperate rainforests in the world, that's what our temperate rainforests here, that's what they're really special for. And they have international importance because of that. When you ask whether or not there's better ones uh, versus less good ones, the best ones are the ones where you have really humid conditions like particularly humid that's what we call the oceanic lichens and the oceanic mosses they're the ones who are really associated with that west coast influence um and they have been under continuous woodland canopy cover for hundreds of years because like i already explained a lot of these little species can't they can't um, disperse easily they disperse very slowly so the best spots are often the ones which will have a ravine or a gorge. And that's because one, they're more humid and darker. 
Um, and the second reason is because they probably haven't been felled. Those trees have just replaced themselves naturally. Uh, it's unlikely that there was ever a clear cut in those areas. So that's a place to, to target first, and then you could spread out. So a lot have been cleared. Have we any idea how much? Oh, um, no, because we have, I'd, I would argue we don't, because if you go back to that idea of what was the woodland, the forest like across the UK after the Ice Age, that is a hot topic of debate oh. <laughs> amongst the historical ecologists or paleoecologists. Um, we don't know how much cover there was, tree cover there was, um, and, and that therefore we don't know how much temperate rainforest cover there was. What we do know is that we're left with only 2% of the world's surface is covered, or of the Earth's surface is covered with temperate rainforest. And that's, that is, in, the, in Wales, we have 13% woodland cover, and only, I think, 3% of that is temperate rainforest. It's a minute um, percentage of, of, our, of our country. Um, and we definitely, there's room for a lot more. I think most people listening would recognise this as a beautiful, special place, but we should just say, why bother? Why save it? Why not just clear out and use the land for things? Okay. Um, I guess one of the arguments I would give to uh, government policy people, the first thing would be carbon storage, right? That's a, that's a popular excuse or reason at the moment. Um, and uh, these temperate rainforests around the world are, are particularly valuable because the trees grow slowly and they rot down slowly. It's not tropical rainforest where the carbon cycle is really quick. Those trees which are storing the carbon, then when they die, they fall down, they rot really quickly and that carbon gets released. In a temperate rainforest, the rotting down is much slower. And so that means that temperate rainforests store a lot more carbon than tropical rainforests if the trees are allowed to grow big and old. So big trees will store a lot of carbon, whereas a little tree, well, you can look at it, it doesn't have a lot of carbon in it, right? Yeah. So if we allow our woodlands, our old woodlands, to continue to get old, and to just stay standing. They are sequestering carbon and they're keeping it stored safe. It's like keeping it safe in a blanket box. It's not going anywhere, basically. So that's the first reason. And then uh, the second biggest reason, or the second important reason, in my opinion, is just this whole argument for biodiversity. So you might think it's just some oak trees and some green moss and some smelly lichens on the tree trunks. Um, but it's hundreds of species of mosses and liverworts and lichens. You know, um, I would I would guess that in Nant Gwynant, there's over 200 species of lichens growing on the trees. There's at least I one of the reports I was reading recently has reports 116 species, and that was in one survey and in one part of Nant Gwynant. So there's hundreds of species here. Mm. And some of them are only found in the UK, or some of them have their best populations in the UK because we have this, these old wet trees. Yeah. And then I think that goes back to there's um, an ecologist. I don't know. I think eight, late 1800s, early 1900s, he was born. Uh, he's German, called Ehrlich. Ehrlich, and he made um, he presented a hypothesis. I don't know if you've heard about this with the airplane. 
so I guess he was born in the 1900s. <laughs> Um, and he talks about uh, biodiversity, the planet, uh, and its and all the species on it are like an airplane. Now, the airplane is made up of lots of sheets of metal and nuts and bolts, right? Um, and all of those parts put together make the airplane. Now, Ehrlich asks you, or he presents this question, he says, would you feel safe going and boarding onto this plane if you found a few nuts and bolts missing? Wow. We don't know what that nut and that bolt do, but yeah. we have a feeling they're pretty important. Yeah, so, I like that. That's good. So we don't know what, you, on their own, they're not really important, but they are part of a really big um, picture that works together. Yeah. So is part of the project to expand the area we've got, or is it to improve the condition of the one we've got? You know, what is it you're actually trying to do? This project is just about improving the condition of our Celtic rainforest, our existing Celtic rainforest. Yeah. So, um, and that's why we're focusing just on the SACs. We're not yeah. focusing on, on new, younger woodlands, for example. Um, and, and we're doing that um, because there's a lot of work. The existing SACs and the land around them are not in good condition. Um, and the, the main factors uh, stopping them from being considered good is invasive species uh, and then um, conifers. <laughs> so we've spoken about conifers already. So if there's conifers, they put they threaten the other species. Um, and also inappropriate grazing. So often the woodlands are undergrazed now and they're full of brambles and holly and, and we're losing those lichens and the bryophytes that are of interest. So you need to get some ponies or cattle into those? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a general trend. I, I think there's probably examples where woodlands could use a break from grazing. But in general now, since the 1990s, a lot of woodlands have been given a, a break from grazing and they're now filling up and and that, that can be a problem where you have really important lichens and mosses and, and bryophytes um yeah so i can see that big picture there sabine but what does that mean you do on a monday morning you know when you go to work on monday what what do you actually do yeah so most of our money is spent on one species rhododendron ponticum oh uh, gosh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so most of the money and most of my work is about looking for where the rhododendron is growing um, and figuring out who owns that land, negotiating with the landowner for permission to, you know, to control it, and then managing contracts. So there's quite a few contractors um, and companies in, in North Wales now, which are working pretty much full time, um, helping us to eradicate rhododendron uh I, yeah 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 that well that makes a lot of sense that's obvious there was a question i was going to ask you earlier but i forgot and you've just triggered my mind with the rhododendron. engine we identify these for rainforest through green things typically mosses lichens ferns epiphytic ferns are there any flowers that are particular to these areas or would it just be the normal woodland species i don't know snowdrops maybe coming out now celandines yeah or whatever that's a good question i i would um there's probably a botanist who knows of of a few species which are specific to you know associated with really wet 
humid sites but i have a feeling that there i would say there isn't um yeah. there there are plants there are flowering plants which are associated with ancient woodlands so mm -hmm. with woodlands that have had continuous tree cover for hundreds of years but yeah. they're not necessarily that for example uh cows wheat grass cow wheat yeah. that's that's, an, that's, a, that's an old old woodland associate oh, oh yeah but it's not necessarily it's associated with temperate rainforest yeah. i've recorded cowman cow wheat at 700 meters on Triven. oh really what's well, that no, about eh? no trees but you know obviously a woodland indicator uh, well yeah those woodland indicators are um you you can't just see one one species and be like oh this is a woodland yeah not not quite no. but it, it's a hint yeah 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 i mean because woodlands don't naturally have tidy edges do they no, they don't yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah um we are moving on time wise now so i just want to come back to a lot of the people listening will be mountain leaders mountaineering instructors and they might be just wondering well okay that's all very nice but what what can i do about it what it means to me so are there ways they can educate the people they're leading i mean typically you know you'll park and it's not often you actually walk through woodland to get onto the hill should should we be walking through woodland to get on the hill could the leaders be describing what really could look like or i don't know how can they help really how can they raise awareness what what sort of things should they be thinking about yeah that's a that's interesting you you talk about that dilemma um how mountain leaders aren't necessarily going to walk through the woods anyways and i totally get that because as a as a mountain walker myself i'm always trying to get out of the woods to get yeah. to the mountain <laughs> yeah. um and this job has uh, i've been in this job for two years and it has deepened my appreciation for that what's growing in the valley bottoms mm. um and and in the winter when weather is really wet and visibility is very poor on the mountains um and you can have many reasons to feel depressed uh if you spend the time in the woods in the winter it's actually the best time to appreciate those mosses and lichens so the first thing I'd say is don't discount the woodlands and the low low elevation walks. Do enjoy them. And especially in the winter when, when the lichens and mosses are all wet and they just show all their colors. Um, so, so just appreciating that the beauty of, of the woodlands and, and also remembering how unique they are. they are. There's nowhere else in the world where you will find these twisted oak and birch trees covered in mosses and lichens. It is unique. We, it's a selling point, in my opinion. When I have family from Canada, I, I bring them to the rainforest because I say, you'll never see this anywhere else. Wow. So, so that's what I'd say. Um, and, and the second thing is uh, some mountain leaders might also be doing gorge walking. And, yeah. and just like walking through the woodlands, um, the, the only thing I would say is that you have to be aware that the mosses and lichens are fragile. Um, and they're very susceptible to erosion, mainly from footfall. So stick to the paths in the woodlands and, and explain that to everybody, that when they clamber over a mossy boulder, point out how they've scraped off a bit of that moss. And some of those mosses are really rare. Mm. Uh, we try to stick to the paths. And the, the same with the gorge walking that's become hugely popular 
in the yeah. last five, 10 years. Um, and there is a detrimental effect on mosses growing in the rivers. So the, my best advice is to stick to the popular gorge walking um, locations. And if you discover another gorge, don't don't show it to your clients or to your yeah. friends even. It's just, just keep it because those are really rare. So if you find one, then, then feel lucky and privileged. Um, and, and I would discourage sharing it, uh, especially with clients. You know, it sounds like really good advice. Stick to the worn ways. I yeah. guess most of the time in the forest, you will stick to the worn ways. It's a lot easier to walk. But um, definitely, in issuing gorges as they get busier, with people wanting to get around groups or as yeah. you say, of a new gorges. So that's something we need to monitor. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening will be well aware of that. So that's great. Yeah. Sabine, that's probably well. The thing I wanted to finish on there is that specialness that uniqueness of these places how it's globally important um but is there anything else you want to tell people because that's yeah there, just one little plug um for all of these people who are walking on the mountains and in the woods uh, yeah. across the countryside regularly there is something called the lurk app it's uh the local environmental recording centers app so L E R C yeah lurk um and they have an app which you can download on your smartphone and i would urge any regular walker to have it on their phone and it's very easy to then record if you see a species of interest and it'll it'll geolocate where you are and things like rhododendron invasive species please record it when you see it um because that actually does feed into the national parks and nrw we all look at at the results from the lurk um recording centers and that will help us shape our future bids for money to control invasive species or or if you find really rare species as well right i'll push that i can do a little post on the lurk app and just remind people where to get it from and how to use it that sort of thing so that's great great thanks sabine thank you for talking to us today thank you very much for the invitation mike and uh, we're going to end the podcast there thank you Okay, thanks a lot.